0: And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to Echoes of Calvary, brought to you each week by Calvary Bible Church. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Today we will see the contrast between Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, the concept of a sin nature will be explained. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott.
1: We are in Romans chapter 5. Take your Bibles and turn there with me. Last Sunday, we were able to teach through the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 5. And I hope that you'll recall, if you were here, that there were three blessings for justification in first 11 verses of chapter 5. Let me review the justification is God's work of declaring sinners righteous because of Christ. That's justification. If you're saved, you are justified. We saw three blessings to being justified in the first 11 verses of Romans 5. Number one, we have peace with God. Number two, we have the hope of grace. Number three, we have praise for God. Peace with God is blessing one, Hope of grace is blessing two of justification. And then under the hope of grace, we talked about future glory, no wrath in in judgment, free access to God, spiritual growth in times of trouble, and a deep sense of God's love for us when we are in times of trouble. And then by way of review, the third blessing of justification is praise for God. So that's what we saw last week. Justification's blessings, peace with God, hope of grace, praise for God. Now, as we continue through chapter 5, verses 12 to the end of the chapter, we're going to move from justification's blessings to justification's consistency. That God, in declaring you innocent, although you are a sinner because of Christ, is consistent with God's character and with humankind's problems. God's justification is consistent. Specifically, these verses in chapter 5 are going to contrast Adam to Christ. They are going to contrast Adam to Christ, and the verses are going to show us both the justice of God and the consistency of God, that Adam's sin was imputed to us, but that Christ's righteousness can be imputed to us as believers. The word imputed might be new or not one you use in everyday life, but it simply means to impute is to assign or to credit or to pass along. So these verses are going to contrast Adam and Christ and show the consistency of God in justifying the believer in Christ. I want to read all of the verses so you get the flow, and then we'll come back and look at it a little more detail. I'm reading at Romans 5, verse
0: 12.
1: Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift of the grace of God Of one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And the law came in that the transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ Our Lord, the first thing I want us to notice is that the idea of verse 12 is not finished until the second half of verse 18. The idea that was introduced in verse 12 is not resumed until the first part of verse 18. This means that verses 13 through 18a Are an inspired digression. Why would the Holy Spirit move Paul to write a digression from what's being argued? Because the Holy Spirit, in these bracket verses 13 through 18a, is telling us of the universality of sin. You cannot sit here accurately and say, I'm really not a sinner verses 13 through 18a are an inspired digression to explain the universality of sin. So let me begin at verse 12, and then we'll skip to where the argument continues in verse 18. I'm only going to read verses 12 and 18 at this point. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, middle of 18, even so Through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Let me go back to verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, and I'll pull up there at the hyphen, when sin came into the Garden of Eden, so did death. God connected sin to death from the very outset. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Say that with me. You will surely die. God linked transgression that had not even happened yet to death. So when Adam and Eve fell, all of their descendants fell with them into sin such that all babies born after Adam and Eve, their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, down the line to your children, all children inherit are born with a sin nature. Only one born of a woman not to inherit a sin nature was Jesus Christ because he was virgin born. That's the point of the virgin birth. There was no sperm from a man to pass on a sin nature to a baby. That's the whole point of the virgin birth. And so when the psalmist David in Psalm 51 came to grips with his sin with Bathsheba, in verse 5 of the 51st Psalm, he makes reference to the inheritance, the perpetuity of a tendency to sin being passed along to all people. And in Psalm five, he wrote, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now that is not teaching that marital intimacy is sin in God's eyes. God invented marital intimacy. It's a blessing in a marriage. But it is saying that David understood from the moment he was conceived, he got a sin
0: nature and a tendency to rebel against God. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers.
2: Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas Rogers, and I serve as a youth pastor here at Calvary Bible Church. And today we want to continue on being an influencer. And last week we looked at a little bit of Matthew 5, 14 and 16. We looked at Hebrews 10 and Romans. today we want to look at one particular verse. And I think that when we think of this particular verse, especially for a young person, I'm sure as an older person, we have told young people this for many years. But we need to also tell ourselves the same exact thing. And this is advice that we want to share them with scripture. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And that's what the ESV said. I think the King James James says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. And I think when we think of this reality, you know, we can't miss this when we talk about the closest ripples of influence. Our inner ripple of people has the potential to encourage, love, challenge, and elevate us to bigger and better things. Our inner circle can make us wiser, kinder, and better versions of ourselves. But a group of people with that kind of influence also have the potential to do the exact opposite. You see, when we listen to that verse and we listen to how bad company can corrupt us, we have to ask ourselves, who is it that we are surrounding ourselves with? You see, when we're not intentional with the people close to us, instead of being a light for them, we can add to their darkness and they can do the same for us. You see, everyone eventually starts to become like the people they are closest to. A great influencer is not necessarily the person with the biggest or further reaching ripples. A great influencer is a person whose friends, family, and loved ones are better off because of them. You see, you need to recognize that you are already an influencer. But what kind of influence are you making on the people who you are closest to? You see, as an influencer, you can dream big. By remembering, the ripples of your influence can reach far and wide. And you can also live small by focusing the greatest amount of your time, energy, and passion on influencing the people who are closest to you for the better. To be an influencer, live small and dream big. You know, when I think about this this past, and I think about us being, you know, we can dream big. And I think that's what happens sometimes. People dream so big that it's not reality. But we got to live small in the sense of when we consider what we can really do. And when we live small and we invest in people around us and we influence a small group of people and they influence others, we are continuing to influence people. You know, when we consider the life of Jesus Christ and we consider how He chose His disciples, He had 12 disciples. But He also, in those 12, He had an inner circle of men who He really invested in. And I think that that's something for us to understand is that even Jesus Himself could not invest and in, he could not say all of these men I can reach but he invested in the three and four who are closest to him he was there with them and they spent a lot of time Again, they learned from him and they were the ones to go out and make a big influence in the world and I think that that's something that we need to understand that we can dream big but we got to live small we got to think of and, and we got to do things in the in the as we think of our little area, we got to see what we can do to make a difference. You know, one thing that I can think about and, and just reading a story about uh, George de Mestral, and probably you're listening to Brockhead, you probably never heard of him. But in the early 1900s, he was the inventor of Velcro. And this is how George invented Velcro. You see, he took his dog for a walk and when he got home, George noticed that he and his dog were covered with thistle burrs. Fascinated by these small pokey plants pieces, George immediately began inspecting the burrs under his microscope. He found that the seed pods were covered in many tiny hooks, which allowed them to grab the soft loop in the fabric of his pants. George decided to create a two-sided fastener, one side with small hooks and the other side with loops, which would now be known as Velcro. George's invention is now used all over the world for thousands, if not millions of jobs. In fact, Velcro is even used in outer space. Some astronauts attach patches of Velcro to the inside of their helmets in order to scratch their noses. George probably never dreamed that he'd one day serve and influence astronauts hundreds and thousands of miles away. But because he paid attention to something small, he made a big difference. You know, when I consider uh, Velcro um, I remember, you know, growing up, and I'm sure that as we think of today, Velcro is still not maybe as popular with shoes. But as a child, as grown up, we always start them off with Velcro because we don't want to spend the time of showing them how to tie the shoes. And, and it, we sometimes think it, it's just a, a hard task. But I remember growing up as Velcro was even more popular and you had your, your brand shoes. And I know that I'm aging myself on the air, but you had your brand shoes like kangaroos where all of us Velcro, and you would wear them. And, you know, if you didn't know how to tie your shoes, then you'd have to be embarrassed. And, and so Velcro became a big thing for many shoe companies. And even today, as we know, even in in Jordans, they have a piece of Velcro. And, you know, the list goes on. Velcro is something that's so small, but yet it ended up being so big and making an influence around the world. You see, when we think about this, we need to understand how small thinking helps us to have a bigger influence in the world. You see, if you want to learn to live small in order to have a big influence, you have to start by noticing the small things around you that make a really big difference. You see, the problem with us today is that we're all about big things. We think that we, we can make a big change right away, but it all comes in small packages. all comes through small investments. You see when I invest in someone when I'm an influencer in that close circle and I make that close ripple you see the waves go out and I think I want to challenge each one of us whether you're young or you're older listening to this broadcast that you would recognize that you are the same way and when we go back to how we started this this particular section and we talked about how when you cannonball and the and the impact is so big at the beginning, but yet the ripples go smaller and smaller and smaller that they end up stopping, that we would remember that we can make that big impact in the center and hope that those people who are around us will continue to make that ripple effect as we continue on. You know, when I think about this, I, I think about, you know, sometimes people who have died. And I think that how... People will and say that this person with the influence of my life, what they did, the things they did. And they're not around anymore, but they're still, they still have that influence over them because they remember the lessons that they were taught by these people. And I think that that today for us is even huger because I think that we have so much more opportunity to make a difference because we do have the social media. We have so many other ways of making an influence that we've never had before, you know, where you could have a group on WhatsApp and you could just be texting and, and things like that and make an influence. You know, when we consider years ago, you only had a phone and you had to call one person. And then the phone got to a point where you could add two or three people to that line and, and so on. But now we have so much more opportunity to be influence. So, what am I saying? To make a big impact, you must be willing to live small. That means living as though even your smallest actions at home, at school, and with those closest to you are the actions that matter most. You see, you may have opportunities to impact millions with something you say, how you act, or who you are, but we are rarely see those moments coming. In one moment, your ripple could reach an entire nation. It's happened for many leaders, teachers, activists, influencers throughout history, and it could happen for you too. You see, the world's a big place, and you have the ability to impact it in big ways. But some influencers get so caught up on influencing the people in their outermost ripples that they miss the influence they already have on the people who are closest to them. And you see, when we treat every person, every opportunity, every potential chance to influence someone like it really matters, That's when we can become the influencers we were created to be. To be an influencer, live small, and dream big. You see, we need to recognize that as we influence, that we would be people who live small, but dream big. And with those dreams, we give and we are in God's plan for what he has for us. As he has called us to be a light that shines bright, that reaches many areas. Areas that we can never dream of. But because of the relationship we have in Christ, we have a bond with others all around us. This is Pastor Nicola Midnudish of Utah.
0: It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997, and once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. 2 Corinthians 12 verses 2 through 4,
1: I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up into the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. The question, who is the man that was caught up into paradise? What was this all about? Most commentators agree that Paul is relating his own experience of receiving a vision of heaven. Paul's vagueness about the incident and his use of the third person seems to reflect his genuine humility and uncertainty regarding details of the experience. He recounts that the vision took place 14 years earlier. Since he was writing 2 Corinthians in AD 56, we can date the vision about AD 42, while he was still in Tarsus before Barnabas brought him to Antioch, see Acts 11, 25, and 26, Paul reports that he was taken to the third heaven, which is beyond the earth's atmosphere, which is the first heaven, and the stars, which are the second heaven. Paul is not sure whether he was physically present in heaven or whether his spirit partook of this experience. There in paradise, Paul saw and heard some wonderful things. Paul explains in the verses that follow that God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him from becoming proud as a result of his great privilege. See 2 Corinthians 12, verses 5 through 9. We want to conclude this Echoes of Calvary broadcast with a Puritan prayer. The Puritan prayer, Divine Mercies. Thou eternal God, thine is surpassing greatness, unspeakable goodness, superabundant grace, I can as soon count the sands of the ocean's lip as number thy favors toward me. I know but a part, but that part exceeds all praise. I thank thee for personal mercies, a measure of health, preservation of body, comforts of house and home, sufficiency of food and clothing, continuance of mental powers, my family, their mutual help and support the delights of domestic harmony and peace, the seats now filled that might have been vacant, my country, church, Bible, faith. But, oh, how I mourn my sin, ingratitude, vileness, the days that add up to my guilt, the scenes that witness my offending tongue, all things in heaven, earth, around within, without, condemn me. The sun which sees my misdeeds, the darkness which is light to thee, the cruel accuser who justly charges me, the good angels who have been provoked to leave me, thy countenance which scans my secret sins, thy righteous law, thy holy word, my sin-soiled conscience, my private and public life, my neighbor's, Myself, all right dark things against me. I deny them not, frame no excuse, but confess, Father, I have sinned. Yet still I live and fly repenting to thy outstretched arms. Thou wilt not cast me off, for Jesus brings me near. Thou wilt not condemn me, for he died in my stead. Thou wilt not mark my mountains of sin For he leveled all And his beauty covers my deformities O my God I bid farewell to sin By clinging to his cross Hiding in his wounds And sheltering in his side
0: Amen You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com That's eocradio.com at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas And remember everyone needs a Savior.